Welcome to The Open Word, the online teaching ministry of Pastor David Landry on today's episode. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. There'd be no strength for that young church, no support of these young believers there in Philippi. The church would have probably continued to have problems as these magistrates would try and do anything they could to squelch the message of Christ and the hope of the gospel. He was holding these magistrates and these officers to the law. And what Paul was stating to them was honest, it was just, And again, he made that statement very clear. They were willing to go, they were willing to leave town, but they knew they had first to take the opportunity to go in and minister to, to encourage that young church. Christian persecution is incredibly unjust and damaging. The enemy will use any tactic to stop the spread of the gospel, including spreading lies or false imprisonment. This can be incredibly damaging to a believer, especially new believers. Today, Pastor David will explain how Paul and Silas bravely declared publicly the injustice the Romans inflicted on them. He did this to call them out and to give the young church there courage despite any future consequences. Be brave. Be willing to stand firm in defending your faith. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Acts chapter 16 as he begins his message, When the World Pushes Back. Some of you might be familiar with the uh, name Jack Phillips. Jack Phillips owned Masterpiece Cake Shop, or owns Masterpiece Cake Shop, because he refused to do a uh, cake for a celebration of a gay wedding. Lawsuits were brought against him over and over again, even though he's won the lawsuits, even in the Supreme Court, lawsuits continue on. Maybe you know the name of Baronella Stutzman, She was a florist who had uh, continual customers, continual customers that lived a gay lifestyle, served them on a continual basis, regular customers. And yet when one came in and asked her to make a special arrangement for his wedding to his gay lover, she said, you know what? I I cannot celebrate that and I cannot partake uh, in, in, in that venture with you. She was sued, and again, uh, she's almost lost uh, uh, her, her flower shop because, again, lawsuit after lawsuit, even though she's won different ones. Maybe you've heard of uh, Chaik Uzik Bunam. Probably not, but <laughs> he was actually censored for his faith as he would begin sharing it on the campus of Georgia Gwyneth College. They said, Chike, you you cannot say this out in the public. We're going to put you in a free speech zone. And over here, you can share your faith in a a place that was separate from, again, the normal flow of people there on the college campus. And so he went ahead and did that. He went to that place and continued to share his faith. But then still, the campus authorities came and tried to shut him down. Maybe you heard Illinois' Governor J.P. Pritzker 
signed into action the Reproductive Health Act that allows the murdering of children in the womb at any point in the pregnancy right up to birth. And with that, there is also the right to a waiver for underage girls to have an abortion without parental notice. Perhaps you've heard uh, comedians like Jon Stewart and other comedians as well as actors and actresses, those that are in the entertainment industry, continually mocking Christianity with the hoots and the laughs and the applause of the crowd that they're speaking to. Maybe you've heard of the violent acts against Christians in Nigeria and Iran and Pakistan and Egypt and India and China and North Korea and Syria, literally all over the world. Perhaps you've heard that Facebook, Twitter, Google, and Apple have been caught actually removing some Christian posts and some sites which speak out about their Christian faith, listing those as hate speech. And so they are censored by individuals that are working in those companies. According to Open Doors, it's a website, again, just helping us to know what's going on with the persecution of Christians all over the world. Open Doors reminds us that on average, every month, every 30 days or so, 345 Christians are killed throughout the world for faith-related reasons. 105 churches on average, churches and Christian organizations, their buildings are either burned or attacked every month. Every 30 days or so on average, 219 Christians are detained without trial. They are arrested, they're sentenced, and imprisoned. In 2019 alone, in one year, 4,136 of your brothers and sisters have been martyred for their faith. Worldwide, one in nine Christians experience some sort of high level of persecution. Guys, we could go on and on and on trying to, again, drive into our minds, our understandings of the greatness of the freedom that you and I have, even this morning, to come and sit here in the comfort of this building, wide open, declaring our faith in Christ. But yet, even in our own country, persecution is happening to our brothers and sisters. We are actually in the book of Acts. If you've got your Bible with you, I want you to turn to the book of Acts with me. We are at the end of chapter 16 going into chapter 17. And as we've studied the book of Acts time and time again, we've seen this powerful move of God, God's spirit touching individuals' lives. But at the same time, we've seen these powerful moves of God, lives being changed for eternity. We've also seen the enemy of God, Satan, the destructive forces of his kingdom, coming against, trying to squelch the message, trying to destroy the messenger, trying to have a negative impact to those that would give their lives to Jesus Christ. We saw that Paul and Silas, they had been imprisoned because of their faith, because they had cast this demon out of this young girl, and simply because a bunch of merchants had lost business and lost money because of that. We found out that they were freed from that prison by a miraculous earthquake. And in the midst of that, the jailer and all of his family found salvation. Now that's where we left off. 
But that's not the end of the story, either for the jailer or for Paul and Silas. So we're going to pick up in chapter 16, down in verse 35, if you join with me. When it was day, the magistrates, those are the ones who had had Paul and Silas arrested, they sent the officers. Those officers were the ones who had beat Paul and Silas before they were put into prison. The magistrates sent the officers saying, let these men go. And so the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul saying, hey, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, depart and go in peace. Now, at this point, you might expect that Paul and Silas would have said, hey, praise God, that, that event is over. Let's leave this prison. Maybe let's leave this town and, and move on with our lives. But again, there's more that had to be done. When Paul received that message that they were being secretly excused and pardoned from the prison, his response was a whole lot different than those officers had probably anticipated when they came that morning. Look what it says there in verse 37. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us openly. We are uncondemned Romans and they've thrown us into prison. And now they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. Now, to help you understand the gravity of this whole situation, these officers that came, as I said, they were probably the very same officers that beat Paul and Silas with rods. Again, uh, the magistrates had stripped the, the clothes off of Paul and Silas, beat their, their bare backs with these rods. They would have been the ones. They were the ones that had carried out this command of these magistrates, these rulers within the city there of Philippi. Uh, very apparent that in the rush, uh, in the, the, the confusion, in all the emotion that was going on at the time that the magistrates sent the officers to go and get Paul and Silas, nobody bothered to check and see, are these guys Roman citizens or not? And so all of this took place against them where it was unlawful to do. As an eyewitness, Luke told us back in verses 22 and 23 that the multitude rose up together against them. The magistrate tore off their clothes, commanded them to be beaten with rods. They laid many stripes on them, threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. A lot of emotion, a lot of rage was going on. The action of these magistrates, all of that was taken without any kind of a court hearing at all. But you know what? It was against the law to incarcerate a Roman citizen without a trial and without any kind of conviction. And it was against the law to beat a Roman citizen. The magistrates were guilty of breaking the Roman law on both of those cases, and these officers, the very ones that carried out that, uh, that beating, they too had broken Roman law. Now that's a difficult and probably a very incriminating place for both these magistrates and these officers to be in. And so it's possibly the recognition of their own guilt why they said, okay, let's go ahead and let these guys go early in the morning. Let's just try and get them out, get them out of town, get them away, so hopefully we don't have any, uh, again, consequences to our breaking of the law. Maybe it was because they felt that their own gods were angered with what they did because that earthquake that took place. There's no doubt the earthquake that shook that prison, these magistrates and these officers probably felt that same shaking going on. And so again, whatever the reason, 
They tried to quietly release Paul and Silas, have them go on their way, but Paul wouldn't allow it. They've beaten us openly. We're uncondemned Romans. They threw us into prison. And now you try to put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. And then the officers went back and told these words to the magistrates. And they were all afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Verse 39 says, and then they, the the magistrates, came and they pleaded with them. I love that. You know, in one case, they're, they're beating them and throwing them into prison. Now they're coming and they're pleading with them. And they brought them out and they asked them, listen, would you guys mind just leaving town? Just, just, just leave town. Leave quietly, if you would. They asked them to depart from the city. Again, this wasn't the idea that Paul was trying to get some kind of retribution. He wasn't trying to get some kind of compensation because he had been illegally beaten or he had been falsely uh, in, in prison. No, he was simply knew that if he left that way, that there'd be no strength for that young church, no support of these young believers there in Philippi. The church would have probably continued to have problems as these magistrates would try and do anything they could to squelch the message of Christ and the hope of the gospel. He was holding these magistrates and these officers to the law. And what Paul was stating to them was honest, it was just, And again, he made that statement very clear. They were willing to go. They were willing to leave town, but they knew they had first to take the opportunity to go in and minister to, to encourage that young church. Verse 40. So when they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia, and when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them, and then they departed. As they departed, chapter 17, we can flow right into it. Chapter 17, verse 1 says, Now when they had passed through Amphibolus and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. About 30 miles outside of Philippi, along the Via Ignatia, the main road that traveled along the, just parallel to the coastline there in Greece, they would come through these two cities. About 30 miles from Philippi was the first one up. Amphibolus, uh, again, not a major town, but another 30 miles down the road, they would come to the next town, Apollonia, again, not a major town. Luke, as he's writing the book of Acts for us, says they just went through these cities. They didn't really stop. They went on down to Thessalonica, Thessalonica there in Greece. That whole trip from Philippi to Thessalonica would have been 100 miles or so, normal course of events, a normal casual walk, about uh, five days to take that trip. Again, we don't know where or when they stopped, but again, uh, was it because they didn't have a synagogue in those cities? We don't know but Thessalonica was the major city that they were trying to get to. Another interesting kind of a sideline here, we find as we get to chapter 16, that first person pronoun uh, that we read in 16 of we and us has now been changed to they and them. And so with that knowledge, we believe that Luke is no longer with the team. So where's Luke right now? A lot of scholars believe he probably stayed in Philippi to continue to encourage this brand new church, these brand new believers. 
So anyway, he'll join the team a little bit later. One thing we do know, Paul and Silas still together. And down in verse 14, we actually find out that Timothy is also with them. So at least these three. And pretty soon they begin ministering in the way that was just the normal operating procedure for the apostle Paul. Look there in chapter 17, down in verse two. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. He was explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded. And a great multitude of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women actually joined Paul and Silas. So Paul had the opportunity there to be able to, to maintain that audience and maintain their attention for three separate Sabbaths. So for about three weeks, he ministered there in the synagogue. During that time, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. So in other words, he would go back to the Old Testament, pull out the Old Testament writings and prophecies about the 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 coming Christ, the coming Messiah, and he would share there in the synagogue how Jesus Christ had fulfilled all of these promises, all of these prophecies, again, and the fact that he would come again. He shared with them no doubt about how this humble rabbi from Nazareth of Galilee was the fulfillment of all that God had spoke through these prophecies, through these promises. He was a fulfillment of the promised anointed one. He was a fulfillment of what the Greeks call the Christ, what the Hebrews would call the Messiah. All three of those meaning the same thing. The anointed one, the Christ in in Greek, that's what they called him, and the Messiah, that's the Hebrew term. This Jesus whom I preach to you is the anointed one, the Christ, the Messiah. Paul made no bones about it. He was straightforward in his preaching and his teaching. This is what the word of God declared. And as he argued his point, he never lost sight of the fact that there was only one way to salvation, and that was through faith in Christ. Now, you had a bunch of devout Greeks there. Before the Greeks became followers of the one true God, they had a a plethora of gods, multitudes of gods within the Greek culture. But once they became, again, uh, uh, not converted to Judaism, but that phrase, devout Greeks, means that they came to accept the God of Judaism. They would attend the synagogues, but they did not fully become Jews. We found out that a great multitude of Greeks began to follow Paul and Silas or listen to their teaching and not a few of the leading women of the synagogue. I believe that any of us would look at that and declare that in three weeks, that was a very successful ministry outreach. Lives were changed. Souls were brought into the kingdom. And as again, that Paul preaching to all men everywhere, not all men would receive that message. As a matter of fact, it seemed to be kind of split right down ethnic lines. A great multitude of the devout Greeks believed. And yet in verse 5, what does it say about the Jews? It says that the Jews who were not persuaded became 
envious. And they took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathered a mob and set all the city in an uproar. Let's stop right there for a sec. What's that all about? I mean, the Jews not only didn't receive the message, not only were they not persuaded by Paul's teaching, they actually became envious, envious of what was going on. I don't know if you've ever noticed before, but there are some, even in our culture, who may call themselves Christians, but then when they see the lives of those who are truly born again, truly on fire for Jesus Christ, they realize they have something that they don't. That those who, again, follow and walk in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ, have a great love and passion for the Lord. There's something going on in their life that some who say they're Christians have never really experienced. Because many who say they're Christians, it's simply because they go to a meeting once a week or once or two or three times a month. There's never been a changed life. There was such an envy now with these Jews as they saw what was going on, not only in the teaching of Paul and Silas, but they saw what was going on now in these devout Greeks, many of these devout Greeks who had been coming to the synagogue, and a great number of the leading women of the synagogue coming to faith, true faith, in Jesus Christ. And so these Jews were going to do all that they could, all that was within their power to shut Paul down and to shut down the message of the hope of the gospel. It wasn't enough simply to disagree with him. Hey, I I hear what you're saying. I hear your explanation of the scripture. I don't believe that. Go have a nice day. No, that wasn't an option for them. I know that's good enough for you, but I don't believe that, but we can still get along. No, that wasn't going to happen. You know, on any other day, I think you could have gone in that city and you could have seen the Jews that were part of that synagogue just interacting in life and in the culture. You and I could have looked at them and said, man, these are pious men. And I mean, they're they're just living their life and it looks like They're honoring God in their life. Why? They go to synagogue every Sabbath. You you see on the outside, they're they're maintaining all of the Jewish laws, all of the the health laws, all the dietary rules and regulations. These are pious dudes. But what happened here? These pious men, suddenly, they're now convinced to draw a plan together. And what do they do? They go to the marketplace, and they find evil men and gather them together. They actually pull together a mob and they start this huge uproar within the city. Are you ever amazed at how vicious the hatred for Christianity could be? And particularly for those, I believe, particularly for those that are convicted by the message of the cross. We live our lives in truth before the world. It's going to bring conviction to others. If we share our faith and share the truth of God's word, it's going to bring conviction. And man then has a choice of three different ways. He can ignore it, he can accept it, or he can come to the point of fighting against it. 
That's all we have time for on today's edition of The Open Word. Pastor David has been teaching through the book of Acts, introducing you to the early church and how they were radically changed by an encounter with the Holy Spirit. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to let you know how you can listen to more editions of The Open Word. Here's Pastor David. I'm so glad you tuned in today to The Open Word. As you know, this broadcast is meant to share with you the hope, grace, and love that can only be found through Jesus Christ. Would you like to listen to more of them? Well, just visit theopenword.com. You'll be directed to our Facebook page where we're adding all of my previous messages for you to listen to for free. Be sure to like and follow that page and feel free to share it with your friends. That website again is theopenword.com. Thanks, Pastor David. We'd like to take a moment before we close and ask you to consider partnering with us here at The Open Word. Would you pray for us and for our listeners? We know the enemy attempts to hinder the truth of the gospel from being spread. He will stop at no cost to prevent even one heart from turning to Jesus. Thanks for partnering with us in this, and thanks for listening to The Open Word. Do you live in Casa Grande? If so, we'd love to meet you. Come join us this weekend at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande on Saturday at 6.30 p.m. or Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. Directions can be found at theopenword.com. That's all for today. Thanks again for tuning in and for praying for The Open Word.